Support for today's episode of the Woj Pod comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your very own professional website, choose a template you love, and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to the Woj Pod. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website. Create yours today. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X.com slash Woj, W-O-J, to get 10% off. Here with Jonathan Gavoni, ESPN's NBA draft analyst. Jonathan, how are you? Doing great, Woj. How are you? Good. Maybe as good of a scenic backdrop we've had here. The, the get out the ESPN studios here with the right on the river. Um, until uh, they kick us out of here. Until we they kick us out of this guest office. <laughs> but obviously, Jonathan, the the discussion around Zion Williamson here over the last couple of days has been. It, listen, it's been all Zion all the time since uh, preseason of college basketball. That the knee injury against Carolina has sparked. This conversation again about early entry and the age limit and, um, not much has really changed where the NBA and the players association, uh, stand, which is both have been proponents of lowering the NBA has come around to wanting to lower the age. The player association has been there all along, um, but has never really fought it in their collect- last collective bargaining agreement. Uh, or, or talks didn't really go to war over it to try to change it. Uh, but they would change the rule outside of the CBA. They both have to agree to it to, to the lowering of the, uh, of the age limit. Uh, and obviously now with Zion Williamson's injury, it just has brought up the issue of player choice and, and, you know, some obviously think he should have, he shouldn't be in college. He should have just shut it down. There's a lot of reasons to, in terms of, his value as a player has only increased at Duke and, and we've seen that, but, but let's start here. Zion Williamson walked into Duke when they went on their summer tour of Canada. I remember Jay Billis was there. Uh, ESPN was broadcasting the games and you saw Jay's reaction initially. He was going to Duke's practices and he was watching that team play up in Canada and you saw just how absolutely blown away he was initially. And, and at that time, R.J. Barrett was, for a lot of people, a consensus, almost a consensus, number one overall pick in the 2019 NBA draft. And and I think from that point, when Duke went on that tour and people started to see Zion uh, playing differently, healthier, in better shape than they had seen him in high school, the conversation started to change about not only potential number one overall pick, but potentially as marketable of a player who's come out of the draft since I don't, I don't know who uh, uh, maybe Blake Griffin, um, Anthony Davis, maybe Anthony Davis. Yeah, it's been an interesting road for for Zion. Um, we've actually done now 
nine mock drafts projecting the 2019 draft. And, and I went back and looked at the very first one we did, which was in the fall of 2017, after we had watched Zion play at the Adidas Nations tournament uh, camp in Los Angeles. And at that point, we had R.J. Barrett number one and Zion Williamson number two. Um, and he's fluctuated um, up, down the board. But for people to come out now and say that Zion Williamson should never have played one game for Duke, um, you know, should have. I can understand if the rule were different and, and he were allowed to go and that were his choice. But I think that. He's benefited tremendously from this platform that he's had, um, playing for Duke, being on ESPN every single night. He's obviously helped himself incredibly by getting into phenomenal shape and playing as hard as he has and playing as smart as he has and being as good of a teammate as he is. All those things are to his credit, but he's taken advantage of the situation that he's in and he's earned himself a huge amount of money. Um, and I think people say that he should just shut it down right now. I think that there's still more money left for him to be made. Not, you know, in the draft, obviously, because he's, he's the clear cut number one pick and there's no question and barring something catastrophic that he's going to be number one. But just in terms of the endorsement money, the marketing, you know, he's gone from a guy who, you know, maybe gets a million dollars his, uh, for his first, uh, in his first year to who knows i mean 100 125 i mean he might get the biggest rookie, rookie sneaker deal. deal of of all time and so and blowing done- and blowing out the shoe on the night of the biggest most anticipated college game of the season and only made him more famous yeah and it made the shoe the shoe element to it even more it's just some people are going to reflect people are going to focus even closer on the shoe deal based on that one moment no question. And, and then it's going to be his comeback, you know, which we're going to cover wall to wall here on ESPN <laughs> and every other network is going to do the same because he's a, he's a generational talent and he's one of the most entertaining players to watch that we've seen in college basketball since I started doing this 15 years ago. Maybe the most entertaining guy. So good on him. And, um, he's made himself a lot of money and he's going to keep making himself more money if he goes deep in the tournament, goes to the final four. That endorsement money marketing, it's only going to get bigger and bigger, that, that pile. Yeah. I think people have to separate when you, when you're looking at what the value of playing at Duke is or playing it, you know, if he had gone somewhere else, maybe Duke's not, the, if he was at Kentucky, this could be happening at people have to separate this, what they think about the college system and how it's structured toward athletes. Because you're saying he has benefited from Duke and that platform being there, that doesn't mean you can't also say, the system is fundamentally flawed and that he should be compensated in a different way for what he's doing. Those are two separate issues to me. They both can be true. And I think people have a hard time accepting if you say all of college basketball is bad for any top player. Well, that's not true because it's an ability to build your name, your reputation, your marketing value. And, and improve as a basketball and player, as a player All these battles that he's in every single game are making him a better player than the one he was coming into Duke. And, you know, he's enjoy, he's benefited from the coaching at Duke. He's benefited from the facilities. And I agree that he should be compensated, that it, it sucks that he's not getting his share, fair share of the pie. 
I'm with you on that, but let's not pretend like he isn't has it benefited from this tremendously. Right. And and I think that or however long this injury is, he comes back, he said he'll have the comeback will be chronicled and he goes into the draft as as you know, the the draft lottery is going to have as much drama as any we can remember. I mean, who gets number one is it's gonna look like it, it's probably when we think of that podium when Patrick you always think of the the Dave DeBusher reaction with uh Patrick Ewing uh the frozen envelope. The frozen envelope, right? <laughs> When the busher reacted and you saw the, the relief and the excitement, there'll probably be that kind of a moment on draft lottery night with, with him because beyond the basketball, he's going to sell tickets and he's going to sell sponsorships and, uh, he's going to create a lot of interest wherever he ends up going. Uh, and whatever team gets him is going to be on national TV three to four times more than they were this mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can, um, Phoenix, Chicago, New York, whoever, people are going to want to watch Zion Williamson from day one in the NBA, which is, which is great for the league. Yeah. You know, and it's funny as much as anybody, you and Mike Schmitz discussed this last year, people should have felt the same way about Luka Doncic last year. And as, as impactful as we think Zion Williamson will be in the league next year and, and he'll be spectacular in other ways. Not sure he can make a bigger impact than Luka Doncic has, but Luka Doncic was playing, you know, again, he was playing in the Spanish ACB. He was playing in the second best league in the world. He was playing in a better league than the ACC. And people didn't necessarily want to, some people didn't want to believe what they were seeing with him there, or they just weren't looking closely enough because, uh, this was a player with great star quality. He ends up not going at the very top of the draft. He's traded in a, uh, you know, a third to fifth from the third to fifth to the third slot in the draft. Um, but, but Zion, uh, Zion comes into this draft with, with, with all of that. And, and now, of course, what we're looking at is a league and a players association that are talking about lowering the age. The league has been there for some time now about lowering the age to, uh, 18. Uh, they want some concessions from the players association, players association, um, have not been inclined so far to agree to what the league wants. Two in particular issues have stood in the way of an agreement on the lowering to 18 that would go into effect in 2022. One being participation in the draft combine on some level among players that they have to show up and, and that's to be negotiated. They don't expect all these guys are going to play, but to show up and go through, you know, whether it's, Go through some interviews with teams, get weighed, get measured, do some basic medical stuff, uh, meet with the media. Uh, some players have not gone at all. Some have gone and done limited. That one's easily negotiable. I felt people on both sides have told me we can get that one done. The bigger issue is the medical is the league wants and the teams really want this. And they, the teams have really pushed Adam Silver on finding a way that, that every team can get some level of medical information on any player they want. Um, in an ideal scenario, you have a player come in, your doctors get to give them a physical, your doctors get to really examine them. You get to know who you're drafting and, and, and their body and, and, and what the risk reward is on a player at the minute, at, at the least they would like, even if there was a league wide physical a player does, and then the teams, the eight teams would have access to that. What goes on now is agents are able to, 
uh, keep medical information from certain teams that they would prefer to steer a team away from. If there's a team in the top of the draft or somewhere around where they're picking who they don't want their player going to for lots of reasons. Um, usually it's built around the quality of the organization, the belief that whether it's front office, player development, coaching, ownership, if they feel it's a bad situation for their player that he's not going to prosper developing it, they want to keep him away. It's, it's less to do, I think, and, and I, I think it's less to do than ever with market size. I think people want their players to go where they have the best chance to blossom. An agent can't keep a team from drafting a player, but he can make it a little harder for them to pull the trigger on it. That's uh, the, and the agents do not want to give up that leverage they have. They feel that's the only control of the draft process they really have. Um, and so they've had the, the, and the union has stood up for them. That's the one that has to, and I think eventually they're going to get there in some level. I think we're going to get to 18. Um, but that's kind of where this thing s- stands right now. A hundred percent. I still think that it's going to be a process. So getting there just because I'm not sure how on board all these different parties are with the fact that going back to 18 is good for them. For example, the players themselves, I don't hear that they are feel like this is some hot button issue that they are really passionate about that they, oh my God, we need to get all these teenagers in the league right now to to come take our jobs. So that's going to be one problem that the union has. So they're not going to be very inclined to make any concessions at all because we already know what the NBA stance is. The NBA has said, we want to eliminate the age limit. So it's hard for you to say that on one hand and then come to the union and say, okay, we want to do this, but we need you to, to do A, B, C, and D for us. The union's going to say no. You know, if you want to, Eliminate the age limit. Let's eliminate the age limit. We're not giving you private medical information. There's no chance for that. We're not giving you more control over a player's future than you already have. And on the other hand, you, you have the teams who, from what they're telling me, um, at least, you know, in the assistant GM, director of scouting, director of player personnel realm, even GMs <laughs> I talked to tell me, we're not all that enthusiastic about going back to high school gyms. We like college basketball right now, the way it is where we can evaluate a player for six months. We can go to practices. We can see how he does against high level competition. They're worried that players are going to shut down their high school senior year to try and steer themselves to certain situations and, and teams. And so I wonder, you know, how much, how unified the teams are with the league office itself. And, you know, whether something happens, the board of governors meeting where the owners come to Adam and say, Hey, we're not, unless the union really makes these concessions that we want, we're not interested in eliminating the age rule. So I, I, I agree with you. It will get resolved eventually, but I do think it's a little bit of a longer path than than the conversation is indicating right now. Right. And, and the league has changed. I mean, Adam Silver has changed course on this. The league has, you know, there was talk, listen, it was just a few years ago. They were still talking about wanting to make the league older and wanting to push instead of lowering it, you know, where you couldn't go, you couldn't go out until after your freshman year, essentially. They wanted to push it another year and you'd have to stay for two years. Um, it's not a bad system that's in place right now for the NBA teams because right. This is a farm system for them and, and the cream rises to the top. And 
mistakes get avoided year after year because we see, okay, well, this guy who was a top 10 recruit is not quite as good as we thought he was. Maybe he needs to stay two or three years and, and, and become a, a better player. And so I don't know how quickly yeah. they're going to want to change it. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability. It's simply hard to know who to trust. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever by searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value. SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it is by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. March Madness is coming. If I want to get seats to see my Bonnies in the Atlantic 10 tournament, to see any one of the great college championship tournament games, finals, they're all there on SeatGeek. And best of all, my listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WOJ, W-O-J, today. That's promo code WOJ for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. The NBA has not changed. They have not changed their stance and decided to lower it based on it's the right thing to do for young men to allow them to go make a living. It is now. They'll talk some of that. They'll talk a lot of that. It has nothing to do with that. They care about the best interests of the NBA and what they have come to believe is in the best interest of the NBA is they want to beef up the G League. And you've had a lot of organizations, a lot of owners who are pouring a lot of money into their minor league teams. And they would like to get TV deals beyond the games being on Facebook Live. They would like to have some stars come through town, some recognizable names to come through these teams that would put people in seats and make it, uh if not profitable, at least not a money loser. And some organizations would like to have you know, they would love to get a player in their organization a year sooner than have him in college basketball. Some think that's a benefit for them. Some don't. But this is largely about because most of the guys who are going to come out of high school and go right into the league, they're going to the G League. They're not ready to play in the NBA. You know, Zion Williamson is once in a decade, however we want to. Most guys um, will be physically, they will not be. Um, able to play in the NBA and a lot of them aren't physically going to be able to play in the G League. A lot of them physically at 18 years old are going to be overmatched by the guys in their 20s and guys who played in Europe and come back or guys who bounced around but are physically who are men and they're going to struggle there. Um, and so, uh, that's the reality of it. But the, yeah, the league wants, this isn't about, this isn't about freedom of choice and everybody has a right to make a living. Like there's age limits on everything. There's age limits in the NFL. There's age limits on getting your driver's license. <laughs> I mean, like you just, and, it's, and a, it's about money. Like everything yeah, yeah. at the end of the day, 
and there's going to be strings attached to it. And we'll see if they can come to an agreement because the strings that they're going to attach to eliminating the age limit might not work for the union. And so there's going to be a back and forth here. And so they've submitted the official proposal, but this is not going to get resolved from today to tomorrow. It's going to take some time. And, and you and you touched on it. There's a little bit of the dirty little secret of where the union stands on early entry. Listen, Michelle Roberts has been, um, from the time she took over, felt she's been vocal in like – her predecessor was and, and executives in the player association have been that players, young men should have the opportunity to come right out of high school and they're going to take that stance. And, but they also know this and the players in the league know this. When you start allowing guys into the league, it's going to cost guys who are current players in the league. It's going to cost them jobs. They're going to lose. There's a lot of players in the NBA right now who aren't going to sleep as well at night knowing that if we're letting high school players in, these are going to become developmental spots on the team's roster where, you know, we have to roll the dice on the potential and talent of this young person. We saw it, you know, two decades ago when players could come out. And that guy who's 32, 33, 34, who is that veteran leader, who still has a role on a team can be ready to come in and play, but is also a good influence around that guy's out of the league now and they know that. And so while everyone loves to beat up on the NCA and, and trash it and, and the NCA gets everything it deserves. And then some it's and say they shouldn't have to be a part of that system. Like there are going to be the, the players in the league. know there are consequences for opening this door and the consequences are going to be young players flooding back into the NBA and taking up a lot of jobs of players who are, you know, productive veteran players on rosters because GMs are going to chase the upside and the potential of some untested teenagers. No question. And it's going to, it could hurt the quality of the league as well. I mean, it uh, will. So I mean, the fact is it will. So these are all things that are, they're going to have to talk about and figure out. <laughs> I think, and, and we haven't talked as much about it. We reported on it in the preseason when, the, you know, the NBA created this pathway um, to go from high school to the G League. Now, you could already go from the high school to the G League, but you're getting paid a G League salary, which is anywhere from twenty five to 35000 Now, there's a $125,000 slot that isn't available to everybody. It's available to players that the league agrees have essentially first, like, real NBA potential. And, uh, first round potential. And those players, if they want to skip college, can come into the G League. They're not in the NBA draft. They're assigned to a team. That's the one thing they're still trying to figure out. How do, where do we assign them? Who gets those players? Cause they're going to be in the NBA's draft the following year. But financially, I think the NBA's hope is Rod Strickland, um, is, is one of the people running, helping to run this program, identify players, um, they hope there might be three or four and it could be players who it could be a guy who academically is having trouble getting eligible. It could be a guy who gets uh, jammed up in one of these FBI investigations and has taken money. And it could be a LaMelo ball who is not eligible right. uh, amateurism wise to go to college. Yeah. And, and, or, and it could just be a player or two who thinks I just don't want to go to college. I want to do this path. I want to go to the G league this year. But they didn't anticipate there'd be a lot of them. And it'll be interesting to see how many are in this first 
group, and and that is that is available to players this year. The lowering of the draft age will not come before 2022, but in this coming draft, players can do that G League route. And actually, they won't be in the draft. They'll just go from high school, get assigned to a G League team, and and get 125k. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, there hasn't been uh, talking to players and families and and, and their decision makers, coaches. Uh, you don't hear people jumping up, raising their hands, saying, "I'm dying to go to the G League right now." I think no, people are worried about. <laughs> Am I going to be a guinea pig? You know, how is this going to go? This experiment? They're worried about being the first one. So there's going to be have to be a proof of concept first. Someone showing that they can do this and be successful and get drafted before others decide to join in. I do think it's a good idea for the right player. Um, you know, you're not going to get the same exposure that a Zion Williamson gets at Duke, but there, are, you know, there are n- numerous guys who were top 10 recruits last year that aren't doing that great in college, Quentin Grimes, Nasir Little. And so there's always a flip side to that too, where, you know, college doesn't always work out perfectly for everybody. And so, you know, maybe in a NBA type offense with better spacing and, you know, more of a willingness to develop a player as opposed to just trying to win games, maybe these guys would have looked better. It's, it's hard to say. I mean, we're all, you know, in hindsight geniuses, but so it'll be interesting to see how, how this is going to play out. I do think it's, it's a long-term play for the NBA. And like you said, they're not going to freak out if they only get a couple of guys this first time around, they're going to target the right guys. They want to make sure they get the right type of um, human being as well. And someone doesn't embarrass them. And, you know, so they're, it's going to be, it's a long-term play for the NBA. Jonathan, how much of a difference do you see, if any, between – you were just starting out and, and these guys were already in the league but in, in this business. But when you think of the last crop of high school players to come in, the maturity level from a basketball side and then the maturity level to handle everything that comes with being in the NBA at 18 versus the generation now, has there been an evolution? Are, are guys more prepared to handle all the other stuff that comes with being the NBA or never mind physically being able to compete. Has that grown with time? Have we seen even a regression based on like, where do you think the game is in terms of these guys being able to handle this? Are like, are they more prepared than Kobe and Jermaine O'Neal and uh, Lenny cook and, and uh, Kevin Garnett, the group that we saw in the, in the nineties. I do. I, I, I think that AAU has improved uh, dramatically over the last 10 years. What Nike has done with the EYBL and also Under Armour and Adidas, making games more competitive. And then USA Basketball has done a phenomenal job of getting players in earlier and earlier and, you know, instilling the right, the fundamentals of the game in them, teaching them how to play unselfish basketball. Um, and so, I, and then, you, kids are smarter now, you know, like they're, they're more prepared. They're not as goofy as, as they were. They're all, they understand the, the value they have, uh, branding and marketing, social media. So, and then I do, and I think that the trainers have, have, have played a significant role in this too. You know, all these guys are getting up hundreds of extra shots every, every day and they're coming in more polished and they're taking care of their body. And so I, I do think that, 
players are more prepared now for, for college and, and eventually the NBA than they were 10, 15 years ago. I, I do wonder the thing that has changed, use the word brand, and I hear it all the time. Players coming out who barely even have a game yet, who barely even have an identifiable skill that leaves us convinced they will have a career in the NBA and the, and, and, and as much the people around them, parents, uh, any number of people who might be around the player are, there is such a focus on the marketing aspect. There are very few players who still really make an impact in marketing. It's still a handful. And yet they, so many more come into the league thinking that's coming with it. And there's a long way to go for a lot of these guys. And I do think that has become a, an issue for like the agents trying to recruit these guys and make promises that many of them can't keep. Um, and, and guys getting to organizations and thinking like you're getting in the way of my branding, you're getting in the way of my marketing. And it's like, no, you've got to learn how to get into a defensive stance. You're not getting into a game here. I do think that's changed a lot. Yeah. I mean, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter has, has, has changed everything and it's, it's changed the priorities of guys. You go to, I go to high school games now. Um, you know, for example, uh, Brewster Academy, every time they play, there are 30 guys lined up on the baseline filming, waiting for Jalen LeCue to, to have a breakaway dunk, you know, which they'll, they'll immediately put on social media and YouTube and it'll get, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of, of hits. And, uh, and I think that's difficult for the players because the, the amount of attention that they garner now, um, you know, the followers on Instagram and everything that comes along with that fame, um, it can be, it can be tough to handle for a kid who's 16, 17, 18 years old. And then it is hard for a coach as, you know, Hey, you have to play defense, you know, <laughs> like they said, well, defense doesn't get me on Instagram. Nobody makes a highlight reel of uh, other than Mike Schmitz of a guy, you know, <laughs> defensive slides. And so, uh, but I, I do think that once these guys get to the NBA, they, they realize you know, what it really takes to, to, to make it. I mean, a part of that is being competitive, winning games, you know, doing all the little things. And so I, I think guys grow out of that eventually. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by Harry's. There is nothing like a Harry's shave, closeness, the smooth feel on your skin, that comfortable glide of the blade. Harry's separates itself from Every other razor you're going to use, there's nothing like a Harry's shave. Do it the way I've done it. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash Woj. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com slash Woj. Harry's founders were tired of paying up for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. They knew a great shave doesn't come from gimmicks like vibrating heads, flex balls, or handles that look like spaceships. Tactics that the leading brand has used to raise prices for decades. They fixed that by combining a simple, clean design with quality, durable blades, all at a fair price. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. They've received over 20,000 five-star reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Harry's replacement cartridges are just $2 each. That's half the price of the Gillette Fusion Pro Shield. All Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. 
get a $13 value trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, a weighted ergonomic handle, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Listeners to the Woj Pod can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash woge. Make sure to go to harrys.com slash woge to redeem your offer and let them know that I sent you to help support the show. Today's episode of the Woj Pod is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a hundred of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the very first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Woj, W-O-J. ZipRecruiter.com slash W-O-J, Woj. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Jonathan, this 2019 draft class, um, so it's very top heavy with Zion Williamson, Cam Reddish, uh, RJ Barrett, the three Duke stars, and a great guard out of Murray State, uh, John ja Morant, who is certainly put himself in that conversation among top five and maybe even higher. Uh, but this isn't this, you, you I think you anticipated this over the last couple of years as you're evaluating a class and, and it's getting closer. This is not a class with a lot of depth. I felt at the trade deadline, there are lots of teams willing to put their picks in trades this year that if they were going to get out of the draft, this was a year to get out of it. Yeah, I think where we're missing some depth is in that five through 10 range and, and, and maybe, you know, two, three, four, it's not quite as star uh, power heavy as, as, as you might hope. Um, I do think that whoever, you know, whoever gets the number one pick is obviously going to be very happy. And then whoever falls to two, three, four, you're going to be hearing a lot of trade conversation because, um, it's not what, you, you know, there's no one guy that you can point to besides maybe RJ that you can say this guy is going to come in from day one and, and really change the, the future of my franchise. And even RJ has, has some question marks, um, even though I, I'm personally a, a yeah. huge fan of his. Yeah. So uh, it, it's not, um, but I do think that it's, it's understated how much overall depth there is to this draft. I look at like the, the mid to late first round. I look at the second round. There are some really good players in this draft class and a lot of guys have emerged over the year. And I think there's going to be quite a few quality role players, guys that you know, don't go in the lottery. People are going to say, wow, how did that guy fall? I mean, that guy, he's going to play 10, 15 years in the NBA easily. And he's going to, you know, he's going to make an all defensive team and he might end up third team all NBA or whatever. And so, you know, the rising stars in, in a year or two from now is going to be filled with those, which is, which it is every year. So I, I do think overall it's a pretty good draft. Just, you know, you wish that there were 
two or three more names there mm-hmm. in that in that top ten that you could really point to. You mentioned R.J. Barrett, and what I've loved about him and and his dad Rowan Barrett, who played at St. John's back um, in his college days, and has been a key figure in Canadian basketball um, over the last decade plus. Uh, what I've loved about what he's done with RJ is he's put him in a lot of really high level competitive situations. Um, with the Canadian national team, his age group has done very well. He's played in a lot of big games, international games with a lot on the line, uh, more than probably any other player in college basketball. Uh, you know, he's not just rolling in off of the AAU circuit where you're playing four or five games in a day at times or, or at different events. He's been in situations with a lot of meaning. He's also put him, you know, he would take him and bring him into cities and play, uh, brought a lot of toughness to his game, a lot of definition to it. Uh, and, and I think, listen, if RJ Barrett wasn't playing with Zion Williamson, you might be seeing if he was playing somewhere else, you might, it would be built around him. You might be seeing him do even more, but I wonder with Williamson out for however long he's going to miss with Duke. Is it more Cam Reddish than R.J. Barrett, the one who can start to remind people of, of all the things he might be able to do and, and maybe improve? Uh, you know, he's he's had to play off of Zion. And, and is there more Reddish could show with Zion out that, that might um, improve the way people look at him? He can, and that process started in, in the Duke Carolina game. I mean, Reddish had one of his best games of the season. But I don't want to make excuses for him. I think he should have been showing things all year long. I mean, the fact that he's shooting 39, 40% from two point range, I mean, you, that's on him, you know, and so I would like to see him be more aggressive. And let's see now how, you know, playing college basketball for three months. I mean, what does he take from that? And, and how, how much is he able to show over the next few few weeks um, going to the ACC tournament? But, um, you know, th- he still has a lot left to prove. But, I mean, his talent is is, is really high. I mean, he's he's 6'9". Um, he's, he can handle the ball. He can pass it. He can shoot off the dribble. He's got great instincts on defense. Um, you know, is he the athlete we thought? Probably not. Um, in terms of creating his own shot, finishing around the basket, everything's off two feet. And so there's, um, you know, is he going to be uh, your best player from day one in the NBA? I mean, I think that's pretty clear that he won't be, but he's got, he's, he's, he's a really talented kid and he fits the NBA right now. And, and there's, um, and the hope is he continues to get better to better. And I think we'll see more from him. Like you said, with Zion out, he has no choice now, but to step up and which he should have been doing all along, but, um, Definitely, this is a, a chance for him to improve his stock. Jonathan, we'll, we'll have a, we'll, we'll be talking a lot more Zion Williamson, a lot more Cam Reddish, R.J. Barrett, and uh, hosts of others between now and the, the June draft. Um, but uh, glad we got together today, and I know I know I'll see you soon, man. Thanks, Will. This is great. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guest today, ESPN's NBA draft analyst. Jonathan Gavoni. Remember, you can subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your shows. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or wherever else you listen to pods. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsors, SeatGeek, Harry's, ZipRecruiter, and Wix.com. Be sure to support them the way they support us here at the Woj Pod. We'll catch you next time.